0: Jake DeGrom bad now. Is anyone good? Who is on the Mets? Who's worth watching for the rest of 2017? This is Sounds. It's some episode.
1: I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. I like this intro. Is anybody good? And it's some episode. This is. This it, it is, is some episode, right? What, what is it? Seven? Uh, six? I think six. No. Hold on. i got to look. <laughs> uh, while I'm looking, the Mets are playing... And Jay Bruce just tripled, and now it looks like the Mets are challenging the triple as a home run.
0: A home run? Be- Wait, so what did it go off the top of the fence or something and roll around? I don't have access to the game right now, so I can't see what's happening. I'm only getting the box score updates. The top of the box score gives the very sad information that the Mets are 24 and 32 here on June 7th. Season is going nowhere fast, unfortunately. But they are tied one-one at least pending this review with the no.
1: They Texas just Rangers. overturned it. They overturned it to become it's a what? Home run. A home run. I was really excited. I thought we were going to get to talk about the the very rare Jay Bruce triple, but instead it's the much more common J. Bruce home run. That is that is definitely way more common. Um, well, so good it's, news. It's Wednesday, June seventh. The Mets are playing now. They are now within the last thirty seconds, leading. Texas Rangers and that home
0: run broke up a no hitter that you Darvish was carrying into the fourth inning here so um that's pretty pretty unlikely result it seems like
1: so the Mets as you alluded to continue to kind of limp along right eight games under 500 I believe yes and it's been this way they had the one sort of terrible long losing streak this season and the rest of the way it's just been you know, you know, take two out of three in a series, then lose two out of three in a series, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, we're into June now, and so it's tough to just limp along for this long and still try to feel like you have a shot. Yeah, I mean, I don't personally feel
0: the Mets have a shot. You're out. I'm out uh, at- now, is that right? What does that mean, uh, I'm out? I mean, I'm gonna still watch the games and follow. I just don't believe that they have a real shot at doing anything, and so I'm ready to to sell off everyone who's not signed beyond this season, and that means quite a few players. That means Jay Bruce. That means Curtis Granderson. That means Drupal Cabrera. That means Lucas Duda. That means who Neil else? Walker. Neil Walker. Yep. Um, Jose Reyes, although he's not really worth anything. But um, yeah, that that's the the plan I would take if I were. The front office. By the way, for those of you who are trying to keep an index of everything Mets sounds and want to compare who said what on what episode, this is episode 7, actually. So this is season 1, episode 7.
1: It is episode 7.
0: Yeah, so I don't know what to think about the Mets now, but there have been a couple of players on the Mets at least who individually have performed pretty well. One of them is Lucas Duda, who was hurt for a little while, but since he's been healthy. Has been a pretty spectacular hitter for this Mets team and playing a decent enough first base, it seems, at least to hold his own. Currently, with a 377 on base percentage and a 584 slugging percentage, to me, Duda's been one of the more underrated guys on the team the last few years.
1: I got to tell you, I traded for Lucas Duda in one of these fantasy leagues that have been. Right before he came back, and I I needed like a you know I needed a, a first baseman. I had too many outfielders, so I traded uh, Diamondbacks outfielder David Peralta for Lucas Duda. And at the time, I felt like I probably got the worst of the deal by a little bit, and. Ever since he's come back, it seems like he has a home run every game. I've never been the biggest
0: Peralta fan. I mean, he he is going to produce in that Diamondbacks offense in that stadium, of course. But, I mean, dude is a better hitter than Peralta. I mean, all things
1: being equal, right? He certainly has more power. I think Peralta probably rates to hit for a higher average. But to your point, the lineup around him in the park yes. for half of his games is so good, and that's a big factor in in the fantasy. So that is. And anyway, I'm, not... I'm I'm very happy with the deal. The last couple of weeks, Duda seems to just hit a home run every every game. Yeah, Duda is going to be better
0: in real baseball, at least at least at batting average is a category, because he walks a lot, which doesn't always show up depending on what your fantasy league scoring system is. Um, so yeah, that can kind of go. Either way, another guy who's hit pretty well is our buddy who we've analyzed on this podcast before, Wilmer Flores, actually posting a very reputable season at the plate. Now, he's not he's not walking at all. He's got he's hitting three twenty two and his OBP is only three forty four. So he still needs to be a little more selective, probably. But hey, I mean, he's got an OPS of eight eighteen right now, which is you really can't ask for anything better
1: than that from Wilmer. Very happy with the performance we've gotten from Wilmer, one of the few bright spots. Uh, On the pitching side, uh, you alluded to this as well. Jake DeGromis had two really bad outings in a row uh, to the point where his ERA for the season has ballooned up to 475. Uh, This was kind of out of nowhere for me. I mean, uh, I think he had been a little bit unlucky in his first 10 starts, and then the last two just really disastrous. Uh, was this was this on your radar at all? Is a whip up to one point four four at this point, allowing one and a half homers per nine. These just are not Jake Degrom type numbers. Well, it's, the question of how
0: out of nowhere it is it sort of depends on how much you want to believe in cause and effect. When we did our, I think it was our last show. It was either the last episode or the episode before. We were talking during jake's most impressive start of the season when he was just plowing through the pirates lineup and looked completely unhittable and we signed off for the show and later that night you sent me a text that said it's the ninth inning we're up by a million runs jake has thrown 100 and whatever it was 15 pitches why is he still in the game and there was really no good answer for that and we've gotten on terry for not taking his starters long enough into games but there's there's a way to get carried away with that too. I mean, there's not there's going with your starters. They're pulling your starters too quickly, and then there's leaving in your one good pitcher into the ninth inning of a game you've already won. And whether it's causal or not, ever since that start, Jake DeGrom has gotten walloped twice in a row. So <laughs> I don't know. Do, you, do how much how much do you think? the very many pitches he threw in that eight plus innings performance against Pittsburgh has
1: affected him subsequently. I had forgotten that I presaged these last two starts by that text message. I totally forgot that I sent that to you. Um, I don't know. I, it's hard to pin it all on, you know, one start where he threw 115, 120 pitches, however many it was. Um, you know, I believe in Jake DeGrom, I think, you know, he's, he's striking out 12 guys per nine. So that's, you know, that's a good place to start from. He obviously has, uh, you know, three years before this of stud all-star, all-world, uh, you know, numbers. And so I think, you know, some of it is probably luck. Um, you know, just looking at the, the the 1.5 home runs per nine feels to me like that's a number that's going to come back down. Um, he is walking a lot of guys, which is more under his control. So um, that's a little that's a little frightening. But I don't know. I feel like, you know, two starts. I mean, he, he was pretty good before the last two starts. So I'm not going to get too panicked over two starts. Um, so I'm betting on a rebound. It is frustrating, though, because it seems like every time we talk about –
0: some pitcher getting overused, something disastrous happens to him like shortly after that. And I know it's not all because of X thing, but it does seem like, why can't the Mets just be more sensible about the way they're using their pitchers? But to your point, Jake DeGrom's FIP is 3.91 and his X FIP is 3.19. So if you believe, as I certainly do, that home run rate as a percentage of the fly balls you give up is largely attributable to luck, then Jake DeGrom is still pitching pretty well and has definitely not deserved his fate. Um, The walks, as you say, though, 3.75 walks per nine are way higher than he's ever been at any point in his career. And so I wouldn't expect that to continue,
1: I don't think. Was that like a spaceship that just drove by your house? I do
0: have the window open because there's there's painting that's been done in my house, and I didn't want to pass out in the middle of the podcast by closing the windows as <laughs> I usually do to drown out those kinds of sounds. But yeah, you you did just hear the Brook the streets, the streets of Brooklyn, New York, uh, just I briefly like there. I, yeah,
2: I
1: think I, I think we should have more of that on the pod. I think I feel like it's a little too. We could just do that. it
0: outside from now on. If you think <laughs> yeah. that helps?
1: I could open my window. There's no trucks out there. It's just like uh, I'm not even some,
0: sure that it was a truck. It might have just been, you know, some random guy with his with his Brooklyn City bike. For all I know, but no, I, I'm not. I'm not sure what it was, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we heard something like that again.
1: All but, right, I, uh, we talk about usage. Oh, I, I saw this stat on one of the game broadcasts. I wanted to bring it up. Uh, if you if you look at the National League leaders this year. In uh, games pitched, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, there are five guys tied for the lead with 30 games, and excuse me, one of those guys is Jerry Blevins. There are two guys tied for second with 29 games. They are both Mets: Addison Reed and Fernando Salas, and Josh Edgin uh, is tied for with, with three other guys with 28 games. So it's uh, you know basically four. Mets in the top 10 in this to hammer home the point that we've talked about about how overused this bullpen is I, I just I'm I'm trying to figure out you know we're a, approximately a third through the season and these guys have all pitched 30 games Is like how is this gonna you know how is this gonna shake out like it, it, are we just gonna get to August and these four guys arms are just gonna fall off yeah,
0: I, I think actually even Terry has come around in this a little. We've seen a lot more outings, multiple inning outings from some of the bullpen pitchers to kind of cut down on that number of appearances. I don't, I'm surprised, I'm maybe not surprised, but it's unfortunate that it got to this point where he has half of the league leaders in appearances essentially on the same bullpen. And as we discussed when Maggie was on the show, there are kind of a host of reasons for that, from injuries, from the starting pitchers not going deep enough, to a lack of reliable options out of the bullpen, to Terry's persistent need to try to win, try to maximize his winning chances in every single game at the expense of the long-term health of the club. All this is kind of combined to create this situation where we have a lot of tired arms in the bullpen, and we've had a lot of guys used for many, many appearances, and maybe not for long enough in each any individual appearance. But I think that already has started to be corrected. You saw Addison Reed come in for a six-out save the other night. And if that means he's not always the closer on any given night, that's fine with me. I mean, if Addison Reed can come in for six outs one day, and then the next day someone else has to come in for the last three with a three-run lead in the ninth, I'm not saying that's what Terry's going to do. But I would definitely love to see, as we've mentioned before, longer outings from the relievers so that they don't have quite as many appearances.
1: I'm with you on the longer outings and I'm definitely with you on the not having a need to have one anointed closer that pitches, you know, sort of following this formulaic up by three runs or fewer in the ninth must pitch this gentleman kind of a uh, rule. And there are some obvious uh, obvious times to go against it. I
0: mean, if we have a two or three run lead and the team's got four lefties due up, just bring in Jerry Blevins. What's yeah, the what's for the sure. point? Yeah.
1: Well, the the only problem with that is Jerry Blevins pitched either the sixth or the seventh or the eighth. Yeah. Well, game. that's, so that's, that's what that's what that's what happens,
0: line. right? And that's that's been the problem. Yeah.
1: All right. So here's so uh, I want to segue into uh, finally, finally, uh, we've made it to you know the second week of June and. We've been talking about this for weeks, but this weekend we'll see the return to the major leagues of both uh, Long Island's own Steven Matz pitching the nightcap of the doubleheader on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Seth Lugo pitching uh, Sunday afternoon against the Braves. Uh, By the way, quick aside, the Braves... In this doubleheader on Saturday Are actually pitching two dudes Who are not in the major leagues right now Which I've never seen before There's a doubleheader And they're just calling up two dudes Wow I guess Bart got hurt Yes So that's one of them And I don't know who the other guys Maybe the other guy's just filling in Because of the doubleheader But uh, Sean Newcomb The lefty prospect Pitching the early game uh opposing robert Gazelman and then matt's against uh matt whistler in the nightcap so and, that, that was a funny one to me and if you want to hear something
0: even funnier the braves have the same record as we do
1: yeah i don't know the braves who's uh freddie freeman is hurt
0: it's not that the braves are good it's that it's that we've been terrible i mean yeah. that's yeah the
1: the braves also have a terrible record that's that's right. funny <laughs> So, uh, Matt Lugo are back this weekend. Matt, hooray. Uh, throw your hands in the air. So, my question to you is, we now seem to have, if, if you uh, assume with me that uh, young Mr. Pill, who has been filling in a couple of times recently, will not be in the starting rotation. No. We still, We still have six able-bodied uh, guys who can swing their right or left arm one way or the other. Uh, you've got Jake and Zach Wheeler who's pitching tonight. You have Matt Harvey, who we've talked about at length. And then you have uh, the three guys I mentioned who are going to pitch this weekend, Gazelman and Matt's and Lugo. So I put it to you, Matt Matros, what do you want to do with these six guys? Do you want to pick one and put him in the bullpen and have whoever it is eat up some of these innings that we're talking about? Do you want to go to a six-man rotation, which I've heard floated about a little bit in in the press? Uh, Is there some third option that I'm not thinking about? Uh, What do you want to do? I'm willing to at least experiment with the six-man
0: rotation idea. I mean, the starting pitching results simply haven't been there so far this season. And so if giving, giving every starter an extra day of rest, to me, it couldn't hurt at this point. And when even Jake DeGrom is struggling, I think i wanted to to try anything that will maybe shake up the pattern it's not it'd be one thing if these guys were in some solid routine and solid rhythm and were pitching great every time out then then i might question the wisdom of suddenly going to a six-man rotation for some abstract like arm saving reason but when nothing is working out of the rotation i'm all for giving the guys more rest and seeing what happens and If history is any guide, this won't be a problem for long anyway because someone will either get hurt or prove so ineffective that they'll force their way out of the rotation or something and it'll be back to a five-man rotation before you know it. But for now, I'm happy to go with six.
1: I'm going to go the other way on this one. Yeah. I'm going to say figure out whoever you think the lesser of Gazelman and Seth Lugo is and put that guy as the long man. And the next time... Whoever it is, one of these clowns just goes three or four or five innings, and you know we're down by five runs. You just say, "Okay, long reliever, get us through the ball game, save the bullpen." Because I'm, uh, you know, uh, I understand your your hesitance to be laser focused on, you know, still trying to make the playoffs and all of that this year. But you know, the the bullpen is gassed and. You know, it's going to really uh, I really believe that these guys are going to show up, hurt, show up on the disabled list if we keep running them out there like this. So we got to do something. And I think that to pick and choose your opportunities for whoever the long man is to eat up, you know, two, three, four innings in an outing and maybe be able to pitch two of those in a week it's really going to save the pen and by the way if you go with my little theory here which uh pitcher would you choose right now to come out of the pen well it's hard to say because we haven't seen seth lugo you know all season
0: and we he was great last season but we really don't know much just based on that short that small sample size either he looked great for puerto rico in the world baseball classic as well Um, but He's coming off some injury, He's that injury that persists, that he's trying to pitch through pain, and we don't really know how effective he's going to be at that. So it's really kind of an impossible call to make right now, which is another reason that, at least at least for the time being, it almost has to be a six-man rotation if you're not taking gazelleman out, which you could take Gazelleman out based on his body of work for the season. Now, having said that, his last two starts have been his best two, so this would be an odd time to pull him in in some respects. Uh, but I think all else being equal I, I would I guess you'd have to pull if you had to pick one to pull right now it would be gazelleman but I mean either one of those guys is gonna have a short leash to stay in the rotation if they do go six because it'd be so easy to just make one of them the long men but I'm, I'm ready to do something crazy man I, I remember hearing once about a team a million years ago who had 11 pitchers on their staff and they had <laughs> each guy pitched. They had nine guys who pitched three innings each. <laughs> they pitched the the first through third, fourth through sixth, and seventh through ninth. And they did that three games in a row. And they had two other pitchers on their staff to pitch if, in case it went to extra innings. And they just did this every three games. And that was how they played baseball. And they, I'm not saying we should go to that extreme. But in in the book, as we always talk about Tom Tango's book called The Book, he advocates a slightly less crazy but still kind of crazy system that – I'll have to look up the exact specifics of it for next time. But the gist of it is, if you only have three really good pitchers, as most teams do only have three really good pitchers, then fine, you have three guys in your starting rotation. And in games four and five, you just have about six other guys on call to basically pitch to matchups, and they never hit for themselves. There's always a pinch hitter. And so in in, in the Mets case, it would be something like DeGrom, Wheeler, and I don't know, let's say Harvey for now, though ideally it would be Mats, but um, those are your three starters, and then DeGrom, Wheeler, and Harvey are your three starters, and then you've got Mats, Lugo, Gazellman, um Pill, Pill and uh, you know, whoever else, we could probably find, you know, two other guys. And they say, Alright, one guy's gonna start this game, but he's never getting he's never eating for himself. He's gonna pitch at most three innings. Um the first chance he has to get up you're going to have a hitter come up, and so you'll score more runs that way. And then the next pitcher comes in, and then those guys' arms don't get too tired, so they can do this potentially more often. And i got to say, if, if your fourth and fifth starters aren't that good in the first place, it really doesn't sound like the craziest idea, assuming you have the enough arms to, to pull it off. Um, there obviously are potential problems if a guy... If one of these guys is so bad that he really can't even get to the third inning or whatever, if you, if, if Tyler Pill is one of those guys. But I don't know, man. Given how terrible the entire manage, the bullpen management and the starting pitching has been this season, I would love for the Mets to try something wacky. They will never do it, but I would love to see it.
1: Sean Gilmartin would be another guy we could throw in there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, even I wouldn't do Montero in this scenario. Oh,
1: I'm God. I'm done with him. But We're done with yeah. with. Uh, Ontario. Um, yeah, so you, you see teams do this once in a while where it's like sometimes they'll do it on a double header where nobody really, you know, lines up with the start. Sometimes you'll see a starting pitcher scratched and the team just goes, okay, we're going to go with a bullpen game, you know, and, and it's exactly what you said. Some, some one of the bullpen pitchers starts and he pitches two or three innings at max and then they sort of fill in the rest there. The other thing I thought of while you were talking which is kind of a third option which we could do with gazelleman and lugo and the dodgers have done this a little bit this year is that you actually pair two starting pitchers the dodgers did this the other week with uh kenta maeda and hunjin ru and they basically said maeda is going to start he's going to go you know five innings or he's going to go x number of pitches and then this other you know, guy who's normally a starting pitcher is going to come in, and we're going to try to you know get him get through the game that way. And uh, the the Dodgers did it. I believe they won the game that they did it with with those two guys. So so that's the third option that I thought of uh, while you were talking.
0: Yeah, I mean that's uh, anything like that. I think sounds sounds creative and fun to me, and is worth looking into to try to fix. What's remaining of this disaster But one guy who has not been in disaster And to transition or kind of loop back around To how we started the show Talking about some of the few things have gone right We we purposely didn't mention the guy who has gone The most right for the Mets Because we wanted to get into it Later on in the episode And that's the young outfielder Michael Conforto
1: Chris, he's been incredible The Condor, he has been incredible Uh, I will read you Michael Conforto's stat line uh, 211 plate appearances. Wow, 211 plate appearances. So that's like a real sample, Matt. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's not like, nothing. And I, the I'm way totally you know it's real is that number. Last year he got off to this great start too, but by this time of the year he was already back in the minors, and that that's that's yeah. what, what that's how you know this is
1: more than just a start. 211 plate appearances, uh, 307 batting average, 412 on base percentage, 625 slugging, for a 1037 OPS. He has 30 walks against 50 strikeouts, and he has 14 home runs, 12 doubles, 39 runs, 36 RBIs. Uh, it's been, you know, and, and I'll give you the, the the other stat I'll give you is that he is uh, fourth in the National League in OPS. And uh, ahead of such guys as Paul Goldschmidt, Charlie Blackman, Joey Votto, Buster Posey, Daniel Murphy, Chris Bryant, you know, basically ahead of everybody. And it's not like uh, those guys are all having
0: bad years either. A lot of those right. guys you named are killing it, and he's still ahead no,
1: of No, I was reading the top of the Right, OPS
0: exactly. Staff.
1: The only guys ahead of him are, are uh, Zimmerman and Harper in Washington. who that just You know, completely oh, God, going crazy. And 31-year-old Cincinnati Reds shortstop Zach Cozart with the 1065 OPS out of nowhere. Anyway, the point is Michael Conforto has been one of the best hitters in the National League and one of the best hitters in baseball this season. And we wanted to go into a little bit of sort of how good is Michael Conforto. And so the, the proposal that I made to Matt was uh, they do this article on FanGraphs every year. I think it's Dave Cameron who writes it every year. But um, the article is basically they take uh, the top 50 players in trade value. So this – so contract matters, right? Yes. So they take the top 50 players and they say we're going to rank – Uh, These players based on You know if I would trade one guy For another guy or if I would not And so I thought it would be fun To uh, Think about and usually They do you know usually they do The list uh, Sometime in July so we've got a little Bit of time but I thought it would be fun To preview that list just in terms Of approximately where we think Michael Conforto will show up on that List because I, I certainly think with the season that he's putting together, if he keeps it up for another month, I believe he will be on the list. I mean, if he's not on the list, that's insane at this
0: point. It's kind of crazy that he wasn't on the list last year, but that just shows you how far he had fallen after his start last season because probably if they had done the list going into last season, after he had come off that great World Series, he certainly would have been on it. Now, he's not going to be a 1,000-plus OPS guy. That... Even though this is a big sample size, that's probably not sustainable. His projections for the rest of the season have him somewhere around 830 to 850 in that range, which is still great for a 24-year-old playing in city Field. Um, but the question is, who who, on, and throughout baseball is as valuable as a Michael Conforto, who is a, a young guy, meaning he's under contract for quite a while. So basically, you're really only comparing him to other young players who are still making close to the league minimum and under team control. But basically, anyone who's already hit free agency and is making some kind of mega deal doesn't really have value anymore in, in this in this sense. So, for example, Ioannis Cespedes, when healthy, and hopefully he'll be back soon. What have you heard about him, Chris?
1: The thing I read this week was that he ran at full speed, and they think that he's going to probably go out on a rehab assignment soon. All
0: right. I mean, I was hoping he'd be back DHing in this Rangers series, but clearly that hasn't happened. But anyway, Ioannis Cespedes making $25 million a year is not value because he's getting paid about what he's worth. Whereas Michael Conforto, if he were somehow a free agent now, would be making a lot more than that 600000 or whatever it is that the Mets are paying him this season. And so bearing that in mind, we're basically going to be comparing Conforto to a lot of the other young players in the league. And so where do you want to start with that, Chris?
1: Uh, So here's what I did I I made a little bit of a list I looked at last year's list And I made a list of the hitters That are kind of in similar situations As Michael Conforto And I just want to run through them And get your thoughts And we'll sort of look at some numbers Okay Okay would you trade Michael Conforto for this guy, guy X? And contracts count, right? This is like starting from today. Would you actually trade Michael Conforto for this guy? One, uh, I'll just give one note on on what you said about the list. By and large, what you said is is absolutely true. That anybody who has reached free agency is not on this list. The funny thing is, some exceptions guy, probably. Daniel Murphy well, has got to be the, one. The funny thing is, the guy at number one is a uh, guy who has signed a big, you know, a big deal where he's making, you know, tons and tons of money, and that's obviously he's hurt right now. But that's obviously Mike Trout. So Mike Trout has, uh, after this year, has three more years at thirty-three and a third million dollars per year. So um,
0: yeah, I see. That's funny. If I were making the list, I wouldn't put that as the most valuable contract in baseball because how can that be more valuable than? Like I don't know what's Chris Bryant getting paid.
1: Yeah, Chris right? Bryant at number three, right? He's he's pre-arb, so he's getting I
0: paid mean, zero. Basically. Come on, how can Chris Bryant at pre-arb be a less valuable contract than Mike Trout at thirty-five million or whatever you just said it yeah,
1: was? and it's and it's one extra year of Chris Bryant too. One extra year. Of yeah, I four.
0: mean, so that doesn't make sense to me. That that's that's letting the you know your perceived estimate of the player's skills kind of get in the way of the value. But mostly, we are trying to talk about the value side of the equation
1: um all right so let's look at this list i put together so the first name on the list is uh so okay first of all here are the parameters that we're going to use uh who's the guy and i'm going to say where was he on this fangrass list last year and then i'm going to say how old is he and i'm going to say how long is he under team control or when is he a free agent yeah so for conforto as you mentioned he's 24 he was not on the list last year And uh, he's under team control. He'll be a free agent in 2022, which sounds like a really long time from now. I get excited thinking about having him uh, on the Mets for at least that long. So the first uh, competitor on the list is uh, Trey Turner from the Nats. Trey Turner was an honorable mention on this list in 2016 and then uh went you know had a really good major league numbers in the second half so definitely will be higher up on this list this year i think turner is also 24 and he's not a free agent until 2023 so the Nats have one extra year of control on mr turner versus michael conforto so i put it to you matt would you trade michael conforto for trey turner today is he still a
0: butcher in the field, Trey Turner? What's what's his what's his fielding situation I don't think these days? So, Chris? Because
1: because he's played both shortstop and center field in the major leagues and they they you know, they're not gonna run him out there at those positions. You know, I think of him as sort of a, a passable uh defender at those premium positions. That's so weird though, because
0: they're such different positions that how can you be if he was he's kind of a bad fielder. but we're going to try him with the two different premium positions for what it's worth the defensive metrics had him as a pretty bad fielder in 2016 but say he's playing very well in the field in 2017 sometimes those those things can kind of fluctuate a lot that's not that atypical to see these kind of weird fluctuations now Trey Turner is actually having a pretty bad offensive season this year. His o- is OBP is under three hundred. So, um, I mean, would I trade Michael Conforto, who has a thousand twenty five OPS so far this season, for Trey Turner, who has a seven oh five OPS so far? No, I mean that's no. Come on, I'm not trading Michael Conforto for Trey Turner.
1: Are I you? I'm with you. Yeah. No, I agree. I totally agree. Okay, great. Get get him out of here. Trey Turner's gone. Uh, second guy on the list this guy was number 43 last year he's 25 years old he is under team control uh one year less than michael conforto 2021 and his name is jock peterson yeah, dodgers outfielder this is another guy who's fallen off a
0: cliff I mean, he's yeah. he has a 623 ops so far this season poor guy He's hurt and he's i mean yeah this is not even a question obviously michael conforto is way more valuable than jock peterson i think a, another question is, is jock peterson going to get his career together i mean he was kind of a flash in the pan for the dodgers the last last year or two really i guess
1: 2015 was when he first broke out right uh that sounds right he was a he he was a great pedigree guy he was always at the top of these prospect lists and then uh made it to the majors for a cup of coffee in 2014 Played 150 games for the Dodgers in 2015 with uh, you know 7.63 OPS, and then had the big year last year, uh, putting up 25 homers and an 8.47 OPS. Yeah. But as you mentioned, this year he's been hurt. He's been kind of they they they're in a situation in LA where they have a bunch of outfielders and they're like platooning a lot. And they've been like in that really situation since to
0: Joe Torre was the manager, by yeah. the way.
1: Uh, So suffice it to say, we would not trade Michael Conforto for Jock Peterson. Yes. Okay. Third guy on the list, uh, Red Sox outfielder Andrew Benintendi. He was number 38 on the list last year. He's 22 years old, so he's two years younger than Conforto. And he'll be a free agent in the same year, uh, 2022. What do you think of Andrew Benatendi? This guy, is this is when uh, where it starts getting interesting. What what yeah. are you, you going to say? No, I just I I, I, I really like Andrew Benatendi. I've sort of followed him, Prospect World coming up, and. Um, I think he's one of these guys, you know, I'm very fantasy focused, as you know, but I think he's one of these guys who's a better baseball player than he is a fantasy guy. You know, because he's not going to steal, you know, 30 bases. He's not going to hit a million home runs. He's just sort of a solid, you know, high batting average, you know, good on base guy. Um, I don't know. This one's close for me. I mean, if you look at the major league numbers this year, I mean, this is going to be the case with almost anybody, but Conforto is really has much better numbers than Ben yeah, it's
0: funny because before the season, if you had asked about either Trey Turner or Jock Peterson against Conforto, probably people would have taken Conforto. Eh, actually, probably probably all those guys would have been taken ahead of Conforto coming into the season because Conforto, people were so down on him. But but at least with, with Trey Turner and Jock Peterson, you might have had like some discussion about it. If you had talked about Ben, in, how do you say his name? Ben Intendi? Ben Intendi. If you talk about Benintendi, I guess you live in Boston, so you hear people say it all the time. Uh, here we in New York, they kind of ignore him. But um, if you had talked about Ben Benintendi versus Conforto before the season, people would have completely laughed in your face because Benintendi is younger and and presumably was better. Now, Conforto, of course, had this breakout season, and so that's why we're having all these renewed discussions now. But Benintendi is still a pretty good player. Now, his numbers are down from where they were last season, although he had just a really phenomenal 21-year-old uh, season last year when he had uh, looks like I'm trying to add the um, OBP and the slugging on the fly here. Thank you, eight thirty five OBP OPS, and um, he's he's down to seven seventy four this year so far, um, but he's and projected to stay right around that by the, for the rest of the season. Projections that I'm looking at in the 780s ish, and so not projected to be as good a hitter as Conforto for the rest of 2017, but he is two
1: years younger. When do you say he becomes a free agent, Chris? 2022, same year. Okay, so same year. So actually, the fact that he's two years younger, if we're just talking about this contract, it, yeah. it doesn't really you know, get him anything.
0: Yeah, it, it arguably doesn't help because you, you think you might be getting Conforto's better years on the one hand. On the other hand... There might be a school of thought that says he will improve more than Conforto over the course of this contract because he is starting from a younger place. It's tough to call. It's tough to say. that. It used to be conventional wisdom in baseball that players always improved until they turned 25 or 26, but nowadays you've seen a lot of guys come into the league basically ready to be their their best baseball self at a very young age, so it's tough to say. This one... This one is pretty tricky. I I'm, I bet if you ask Red Sox fans, they would not want Conforto over Benintendi. Although you could tell better than I could living in Boston. What is, what does the typical Red Sox person think about? they're they're a young outfielder,
1: yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the 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 Boston version of how we feel about conforto. and and, you know, actually, I think that's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it's fine to have affinity for your own players and to, you know, if you're a fan of a team to 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 feel like, you know, I'm a fan of the Mets. I'm a fan of Michael Conforto. I think these two players are close, but, I don't want to trade Conforto for Benintendi because I'm I have affinity for Conforto already. He's my hometown guy, so that's what I'm going with with this one. And
0: I mean, I don't watch him play, but the defensive metrics indicate that he's not actually a great outfielder. And so, if, if that's true, and Conforto has, I mean, Conforto has looked great that I've that I, since I've watched him in the field, and the metrics at least seem to mostly back them up. They have him as saving. Um, two defensive wins last year. They actually have him as slightly negative this season, but not as negative as Ben Intendi. And to the extent that he's negative this season, I'm guessing it's because he's been playing some center field, which is not his natural position, and he's not as good at it. He hasn't played much center field, but enough that it might have affected his numbers. But anyway, if if it's actually true, and it seems to be true, that even with everything else being close, that Conforto's a better defensive player then I think even objectively I'm going to value Conforto ahead of Ben Intendi. But I could see the argument the other way.
1: The next guy I wrote, I'm I'm just going to spend about five seconds on him because I know what we're going to say. It's Alex Bregman, the Houston Astros third baseman, uh, third baseman slash shortstop. Uh, number thirty-seven on the list last year. He's twenty-three years old. He's the same free agent year as Conforto, and uh, similar to Peterson and Turner, this is a guy who's really struggling in the majors this year. So I don't really see any argument for taking him over Conforto. Uh, let's move on. Young Two players, guys, young players are start, still risky. It turns out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know, uh, I I think Bregman will be fine. He's going to be fine. He's going to be great. Yes,
0: he's going to be but, fine.
1: At this point, I can't see swapping him for Conforto. Okay, two more guys on my list. Uh, Next guy is Nomar Mazzara, Rangers outfielder. Came in at number 33 on uh, Cameron's list last year. He's 22, and he has the same free agent year as Conforto, 2022. Uh, Nomar Mazzara having a pretty good season this year. Not as good as Conforto but he's hitting 289 he's got a 354 on base and an 820 OPS. I was shocked to see those numbers when I was looking at this player he earlier. Could. Just
0: out of nowhere to me. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, he was had a fine little season last year with a 739 OPS, but man, he's um just hitting a lot of extra base hits. Not not even necessarily home runs, but a lot of extra base hits this year and he's walking and he's um just putting up really good numbers. Now, the projections going forward don't necessarily believe in him. Only projected to be about a 770 or 780 depending on who you believe somewhere in that neighborhood for the rest of the season and um also a defensive liability at least according to the metrics, but um yeah, I, I was surprised that this 22-year-old player for the Rangers is as good as he is. Now, Again, trying to be objective here, the the Rangers' ballpark is definitely favorable to the hitters. And so the 820 OPS should be taken with at least a little bit of a grain of salt. And I think if we were to trade Conforto to that ballpark, he would be even better offensively than he is now. I still like Conforto. What do you think?
1: This one's close, too. Yeah. I, I see these three, Conforto and Benintendi and, and Mazar, really as very similar players. Um, and you know, they all have the same, you know, all under team control for the same number of years. The thing about Bizarre to me, the one thing I will say is I think of this guy as one of those really super, super high ceiling players where you say like, okay, this guy could be the best player the best hitter in the major leagues in five years like I could really see that And, and I don't quite see that ceiling with Conforto so if you like ceiling in that sort of in in your young players I think you might take Mazzara over Conforto for me I'm saying it's close same story as Benintendi I'm keeping my hometown guy yeah I agree
0: and by the way um when I said two defensive wins earlier, I clearly meant runs. Two wins would be a lot to add defensively for any player. That would be like a remarkable.
1: Would be a record.
0: <laughs> and that'd be. I, I'm not sure about that, but it'd be pretty damn good. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm with you. i So, and the the other guy you wanted to mention was someone who hasn't even been in the majors yet this year, right, Chris?
1: Yeah. This is an interesting one. Uh. So the next guy on my list is, Yoan Mankata. Uh, Traded to the White Sox in the offseason Moncato was number 26 On this list last year He's 22 years old And he has one uh, more year Of team control than Conforto He's a free agent in 2023 Uh, This is harder To do a kind of objective uh, Analytical analysis Because Moncato's been playing In the minor leagues all season Uh, By the way, Jay Bruce Not content with his 14th homer. Of the oh, wow. Year. He goes yard. No way. Off you, Darvish, in the top of the sixth. 3-1 Mets.
0: Boy, we have a lot of streaky players, it seems like, man. <laughs> Lucas Duda, when he's hot, you can't get him out. Same thing with Jay Bruce. And when those guys slump, it's, it seems to go on for months. But, yeah, right now Jay Bruce has found the swing again, it looks like. He was a little cold there for a few weeks, but looks like he's getting back his, his rhythm. Yeah, Moncada. it's tough. I mean... He's having a slightly down season in AAA. Now, it seems silly to say that because his OPS is around... It looks like it's 821, um, which is clearly not bad. But this is a guy who just mashed in AA last season to to the tune of a 910 OPS. So um, it's not as if he's disappointing necessarily, but a lot of people thought he would be major league ready by now. And in fact, his projections for... The rest of the season, at least, at least according to Steamer, only has him hitting a sub 700 OPS. So this again is a, kind of a ceiling situation. This is a player who many talent scouts think is going to be one of the better hitters in baseball when he is in his prime. But if we're again, if we're just talking about this contract, I don't know. I guess it depends if if if, Monkata, if and when Moncada is going to get promoted because he doesn't it doesn't seem to be the case that he's ready to contribute at the major league level yet you you're more in tune with how prospects are being viewed than i am chris what's your take on you on moncada
1: yeah so this guy is pretty much universally seen as the number one player in the minor leagues right now um and the thing with him the 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 big glaring you know red flag with this guy is that he strikes out a ton still, and this is you know this has always been in his profile. You know, if you look at you know he's been playing in the minor leagues uh, for a couple of years now, and it's always been his profile. And people have always said, you know, he's very young, he's still refining his approach. You know, the strikeouts will go down. And he's in AAA this year, and he struck out 57 times in uh, 209 plate appearances. So that's a big number. And, you know, it was a very small sample when he played in the majors last year, but this was really exposed, uh, you know, to the point where he had 12 strikeouts in 20 plate appearances and and looked, you know, very lost in that brief spell where the Red Sox brought him up last year before the offseason trade. So to me, the questions about the strikeouts and the fact that he has no major league track record, I am same story, you know, call me a homer, but same story with the rest of these guys on the list. I'm going to keep Michael Conforto and I'm going to see if this uh, nice run that he's on at the beginning of this season, you know, continues and and, and see how high he can fly. Yeah, it's weird because when Conforto was 22, he was a very solid contributor to a World
0: Series team. And then when Conforto was 23, he took a step back. And so Moncada's 22 right now, and he's not quite major league ready but has all this potential. And so at some point they're going to give him his shot, whether it's this
1: season. it probably is going to come this season, don't you think, Chris? I think he'll be up this season. I think the fact that he is still in the minors is more about team control dates the white Sox. i don't think anybody believes they're going to win the world series this year and so you know i think the team feels as you know this is the same story with everybody but i think the Sox feel like they get more out of him by you know getting that extra control so the if i do believe he'll be up uh, has, once once those dates pass if his clock
0: starts either this year or the beginning of next year I and mean, then i have to agree with you because Right now, the indications are that Yuan Mancada is not going to be a great player at 22 or 23. I'm not saying he'll, he won't be a superstar at 25 or 26, but we already know that Conforto is pretty good. And so, the rule of thumb for me in baseball, I'm not as big of a ceiling guy. I mean, I don't like to just base my analysis on the stats. I definitely think the scouting reports are meaningful. And obviously, I would take Yuan Mancada over some random 30-year-old who has an 800 OPS in AAA right now. But... Against Conforto, who is a 24-year-old who could also still improve and is already really good. Yeah, I just I think I think you've got to go with the the more reliable bet at this point. And it looks like I'm taking Conforto over all these guys.
1: Yeah, I wish I, I wish I had this list to do over again because I would have picked higher up guys on the list. I'm trying to go back and look at this list right now and see if we can pick any anybody higher up on the list. Well, I mean, there's some obvious guys in
0: team control that you would clearly take over.
1: And we mentioned Chris Bryan at the top of the
0: broadcast, yeah. and there's guys like him, um, Correa, Corey, Cedar, yeah, the, those door. These guys Cameron are Rizzo, clearly clearly all ahead of
1: Conforto, Mookie Betts. So where is he going to fall then? Is he going to be like number twenty? I think he'll be in the twenties. Yeah, that's what I think. Right around, right around number twenty. That's my, that's my guess. This is fun. Seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. was a fun exercise. Yeah. The interesting thing is to see where Dave Cameron ends up putting some of the superstars who are, like, for example, Bryce Harper. You know, last year Bryce Harper had two years of control. You know, right? He's, he's are eligible 2017, 2018. So this year, Bryce Harper will only have one year of control.
0: They still haven't signed him to some
1: big deal yet. No,
0: he wow. hasn't signed. Okay, he's, well, he's he'll, be, he's he'll be way up there, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so, but I think even that the contract will only be one year when they do this list this year. I still think Bryce Harper will be ahead of Conforto on this list. Oh yeah. You know, it's for better. Be. But anyway, those are those are some of the interesting ones. But I think he'll end up. In you know in the twenty to twenty five, uh, in the twenty to twenty five section on this list, it'll be fun to see how we did and where some of these guys. Yeah, discuss, this
0: will, show up if any of those guys are ahead of Conforto, I actually I will be slightly surprised. But you could see some of the upside guys like Moncada, especially being ranked higher than Conforto. But yeah. for me, I don't know. I maybe it's my bias, but I'm not taking any of them over Conforto yet.
1: All right, let's uh, close out briefly looking at what the Mets have ahead of them. Yeah, before uh, I just
0: want to get I have to I have to get this in, Chris Michael okay. Conforto, twenty fourteen draft pick out of Oregon State. Oh yeah, Oregon State won their first three games in the College National Tournament this weekend. They are fifty two and four in the season. They're a great team, but the reason I have to get this in is that in their pod of four teams, the second place finisher. Who won two of their games? Were the Yale Bulldogs, my alma mater, two? Yeah. The, the first time they have won two games in the NCAA tournament since the 1940s. There is a there is a Mets connection to Yale baseball. You probably know it. The the first connection is fairly obvious. I mean, do you know off the top of your head what I'm talking about? I don't know off the top of my head. Well, okay, then this this will be good for you then. So one of the most famous college baseball games, possibly the best college baseball game ever played, was played in the early 1980s. I believe it was 1981. And it was between Yale and St. John's, and it was in the the NCAA regionals, the same first round that just got played this weekend. The starting pitcher for Yale University threw 11 no-hit innings before giving up a bloop single in the 12th. And the the runner stole second, uh, advanced to third, um, I, f- I think, on an out. And the winning run scored when they were runners on first and third. And the runner on first broke for second and intentionally got hung up between first and second base. And when the throw came, the runner from third broke for home. The run scored... St. John's ended up winning 1-0 in 12, and so, so who do you think that pitcher was for Yale University who went 11, a, 11 no-hit innings? This is a great story. I don't know this story at all. Well, okay, what year is it? Um, I'm going to double-check, but I believe it's 1981.
1: All right, so it's got to be somebody from the '86 championships team. It's got to be uh, Ron Darling. Yes, Ron right. Darling. And no, it, was, guess. it was
0: 1981 in Yale Field. Well, it gets it gets better actually. Um, so, this is this game. Darling wows the wows the scouts who are in attendance, and I think he ends up being taken ninth overall by the Texas Rangers in that draft. The starting pitcher for St. John's in that game, who went 11 shutout innings himself, is also a future Met. Do you know what his name is? I don't. Tell me. Frank Viola. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. And the two became very good friends after that game. And um, Viola was also drafted not by the Mets later that year. I think I might have it here. Um, uh, I don't remember exactly where, but I think Flanky he was. V was
1: probably drafted by the Twins. I yes, think. he
0: was drafted by the Twins. Yes, and they both eventually ended up on the Mets, and the rest is history. But it's still with Yale's success this weekend. It really brought back a lot of people's memories of this game in 1981. That still is considered by many the greatest college game ever. Um, and also tying into this is the current Mets situation. Possibly some of those Oregon State players will be on the radar when the the college draft happens on monday so so pay attention to that everybody next week the mets have picks in each of the first three rounds i believe and we don't know enough to give you previews of the guys who are might be selected yet but we'll try to find out about the guys the mets do take before our next show and we'll let you know what we have to look forward to and we'll talk a little bit more about how the draft works in baseball which is a bit different
1: from other sports wouldn't you say yeah, it definitely is. Uh, one of the things is I don't think you can trade draft picks. So I think we do have picks in, in all the rounds.
0: Yeah, sometimes you lose picks depending on where you sign someone, I think. But I, is that, I, as I said, I don't really know all the ins and outs. I'm, I just kind of try to learn a little bit about slotting bonuses and stuff like that uh, for this for this draft that's coming up. But yes, I believe you cannot trade draft picks. I think that's right.
1: All right, so we will definitely do a little draft talk after the Mets pick some players. That's always exciting. We'll get the next Michael Conforto up here on the pod. Uh, Okay, so we're playing in Texas tonight, up 3-1 at the end of the 6th. Off day tomorrow, and then four in three days in Atlanta. And by the way, that ballpark in Atlanta is playing like, you know, the Coors Field of the South, or something. How did this happen? Playing. I mean, Atlanta's always been a pitcher's
0: park, and now all of yeah. a sudden they've got this. I mean, what do you know? What the the explanation is why people what people are saying is the reason behind this playing such a as such a hitter's park.
1: I don't. I know that you know the, the sort of temperature and, and humidity and that stuff is one thing, but I also know that sort of the orientation of the park and the you know the wind. You know, I'm I'm totally you know talking out of my ass right now but uh there are things other than you know temperature and humidity that matter you know the the jet stream and the way the park is constructed you know it has been hypothesized affects uh affects run scoring so apparently it matters a lot
0: because they went from basically an extreme pitcher's
1: park to an extreme hitter's park in one season Yep. yep uh it's crazy um after the Braves series, which culminates on Sunday, they have uh, Mets go back to City Field, three against the tough Chicago Cubs, and then another series at City Field after that against the Nats. So, uh, and uh, by the way, the the team after this off day tomorrow is going into this really long stretch of uh, games without an off day. I think it's something like seventeen or eighteen games in a row without an off day so and that was one of the reasons we talked about the potential six-man rotation that was one of the reasons that the team was considering that is that you know one of the ways that you get your pitchers rest is to have off days in between and the Mets are not going to have any of those for the next couple weeks well if the Mets aren't buried yet
0: they're gonna be buried after this stretch of games. But I mean the the Cubs <laughs> were catch spirit? the Cubs were catching right at the wrong time. They've won five in a row. They're finally playing like themselves. Although my man John Lackey's getting shellacked again tonight. I don't know what's wrong with Lackey and Porcello. I mean, I have this one fantasy team that just needs those two guys to pitch like they're reasonably supposed to, and they just get crushed every time out. But anyway, um the Nationals are thirty seven and twenty one. They have the best run differential in the league they're going to be extremely tough actually the dodgers have a better run differential by by 10 runs in the nationals right now but the nationals are outstanding team they're going to be very tough to beat the cubs are an outstanding team they had not played their best baseball for most of the season but it looks like they've kind of got it figured out now they are tied for first and um they're probably going to have their win streak broken tonight it looks like but they've been playing well i don't know man i think um if the Mets can go 500 against the Nationals and the Cubs, we should have a party or something.
1: That would be a good result. Yeah, uh, definitely tough stretch coming up. It'll be good to get these arms back over the weekend. It would be really good to get Mr. Ioannis Cespedes back for some of these tough series that we have coming up. So we'll see how that progresses. I think that's going to wrap us up. Anything else tonight, Matt?
0: No, this was fun. I, I think we should continue to look at things other than how the mats are playing when we do this Mets
1: podcast. <laughs> we got a little Yale nostalgia, Yale Mets Yeah. Nostalgia. That was great. Uh, all right. Hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at farges C-F-A-R-G-I-S. Matt, say your Twitter. It's Matt, M-A-T-T underscore M-A-T-R-O-S. And with that – We bid you a fond
0: farewell. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. At Sounds, we'd like to thank The Red Thread, an artist whose song Five you're hearing right now and which you also heard at the beginning of the show. Five is available from the Free Music Archive and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0. So I'll
2: just walk right out the door I played a game right from the start. I trust you, you use me, and now my heart's all torn apart. I'm sailing, I'm sailing on my. Of life. That's a game, it's a game to strife. Everything is all in strife. I'm sailing, I'm sailing on, I'm moving. I'm moving. Days with nothing to say And how'll we know when there's nowhere to go And that's the facts of the facts for life to show